Well, first off, I just want to thank you for allowing us to be here, Odorai and I, to uh, visit with you and, and just tell what the Lord has put on, on our hearts for today. And as you said, as I realized it, it's been over 11 years that we know each other, off and on. <laughs> that almost makes this place feel like home. <laughs> well, and as we're gathered together this morning, I'd like us to just spend some time in, in, in prayer. Join me. Lord God, you are our God, and we are your people, and we're grateful that you, Lord, have claimed us as your own. You have set us in the company of saints, past and present, among those who have made bold witness to your goodness and your truth. Your word, Lord, opens up our new futures where we see no way forward. We, you know the places in our hearts where we're afraid but you're there, Lord, afraid of a future that we cannot control, afraid of losing health and independence, afraid for the well-being of our children, afraid that past mistakes will ruin our future. Lord, write the stories of your people deep into our hearts so that we may learn to trust you beyond our fears. Give us hearts and minds and spirits ready to trust and follow wherever your spirit leads, confident that you will not lead us beyond your loving embrace. We ask in Jesus' name that those outstretched arms welcome us and hold us securely in your grace. Amen. November is a, is a month where we all begin to feel this this change in season. <laughs> There's also a month where people pray for the persecuted Christians around the world, where many churches emphasize missions, and I felt excited to hear what you had to say about your missions projects here. It's also a month where some Christians remember All Saints Day. And let me dig a little bit into the history of All Saints Day. All Saints Day arose out of the Christian tradition of celebrating the martyrdom of saints on the anniversary of their martyrdom. When martyrdom increased during the persecutions of the late Roman Empire, local early churches instituted a common feast day in order to ensure that all martyrs, known and unknown, were properly honored. But then there are those whose sainthood is known only to God. There is no particular feast day for them. But in a certain way, All Saints Day became their feast. Moving forward a few hundred years to around 731 AD, the Catholic Pope Gregory III instituted November 1st as All Saints Day when he consecrated a chapel to all the martyrs in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He set this day to be celebrated annually in that chapel, chapel. And then later on, around 827, Pope Gregory IV extended the feast to the entire church around the world, ordered it to be celebrated on November 1st. 
Okay, here's why I'm getting into all this. In English, the traditional name of All Saints Day was All Hallows Day. Did you know this? Anybody? All right. This year it fell on Monday, last Monday. And well, I decided to bring this little bit tidbit along today. I didn't dig any further. I can see how the death of martyrs gave the death theme to Halloween. But I could never figure out where the candy came in. <laughs> and that brings me to today's message from the book of John chapter 11. Here we find the story of the raising of Lazarus. And I'm sure most of us are very familiar with this story. It's a familiar and uplifting story, but this section I'm looking at is a little different, or maybe a little, the better word is awkward. We enter the story just in time to witness Jesus' tears and anguish, some graphic words about the, how, how the body would smell, and the calling forth of a fourth-day dead Lazarus, still bound in his shroud, shuffling awkwardly from his tomb before the astonished mourners. It's clear from earlier verses in John 11 that Jesus knows what the power of God can and will do for Lazarus. Mary greets Jesus in verse 32. She echoes Martha's earlier, almost but not quite faithful greeting in verse John 11:21, where it says, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. And maybe that's the key to this passage. So let's take a look at our scripture for today, at what John says in chapter 11, verses 32 to 44. And if you have your Bible with you, please open it to John 11, 32 to 44. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Again, John 11, 32 to 44. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. 
Word of the Lord. This story begins in verse 1. If you would flip back to, ver chapter, to verse 1 in chapter 11, it says there, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. They're implying and would probably die. Lord, he whom you love is ill, they said to them. But how did Jesus respond? Did he leave everything and run to see Lazarus? Well, no. Jesus knew that it was time to demonstrate the glory of God, his Father. On the other hand, the village of Bethany was about two miles east of Jerusalem on the road to Jericho. It was actually near enough to Jerusalem for Jesus to be in danger, but far enough away not to attract attention prematurely. When the two sisters saw their brother sick, they turned to Jesus for help because they had seen his miracles. We too, with faith, should always ask Jesus for help. And he will send extraordinary resources that will help us in our need. In verse 4, we are given a clue that something extraordinary is about to happen. We read that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. He meant that something incredible was going to happen. And that, that is the key to this passage. We should remember that nothing happens outside of God's control. Every second of our lives is carefully planned by our Creator. Here's where it gets exciting. Because by the time Jesus finally made his way to the home of Martha and Mary, their brother was already dead. Okay, here are a few thoughts and questions that stood out for me in this passage, and I'd like us to look at them together. The first one, who is the one who has the power over life and death? The second one, what caused Jesus' tears? The third one, why was Jesus not upset but angry? And four, there's a call to come and get rid of that shroud. Title of today's sermon. <laughs> the first one, who is the one who has the power over life and death? When Martha heard that Jesus was approaching, she went running out to meet him. Her first words to Jesus were, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's quite a statement of faith for Martha to make, isn't it? Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha agreed with Jesus, thinking that Jesus meant that Lazarus would rise on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. 
will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And Martha replied, yes, Lord. Jesus has power over life and death as well as power to forgive sins. He who is life can surely restore life. Whoever believes in Christ has a spiritual life that death cannot conquer or diminish in any way. To those of us who believe, that wonderful assurance, what wonderful assurance we have, what certainty we have. In John 14, 9, 19, Jesus tells us, since I live, you also will live. The second, what caused Jesus' tears? Where have you put him? Verse 34, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. We've all heard and know that Jesus wept is the, the shortest verse in the Bible. Now I ask you, do we also understand that this is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible? Tom Wright and his study guide, John for Every Man, asks a question. Why does John show us a weeping Jesus? It's a good question. But as we've aged, I believe most of us have learned to prize that little verse. First of all, it shows the human side of Jesus. Weeping showed Jesus' human side. During those days, most people thought that a God would have no emotions and no messy involvement with humans. Here we see Jesus' emotions. There's compassion, there's indignation, there's sorrow, even frustration. Anybody who has ever been hurt knows what it is to cry. Does anybody here not know what it is to cry? But really, be honest, and don't try to hide anything from your Savior, because he knows. He knows. And he cares. That's important. It, it's important to cry. Tears are a natural, healthy response to deep hurt. But of course, people weep for different reasons. Listen to this story. In the period following apartheid in South Africa, the first president of the new South Africa, Nelson Mandela, appointed a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The commission's task was to work toward healing of the wounds of the South African people. Bishop Desmond Tutu was named as head of this commission. Public hearings were held at which victims told their stories of injustice and persecution while the nation watched and listened on national television. At one point after a particularly painful testimony by a man who had suffered horrible pain and injustice, Desmond Tutu broke down in tears and began to weep. Live and in color for the whole nation to see. Later somebody said, I believe it was in the tears of that religious leader that our nation began to heal. Don't you suppose that there was healing in it for some witnesses in the crowd mourning Lazarus? Mourning his death when they saw Jesus break down and weep as well? See how he loved him, 
they said. And Jesus did love Lazarus just as he loves you and me. His tears are a reminder of the human side of the master and his love for all God's children. Second, Jesus' tears not only help us to relate to him, but it shows us how able he is to relate to our experience when we lose somebody we care about. It hurts when we stand by the grave of someone we love and we cry, and there is Jesus as he cries with us. We grieve for them, but not as those who have no hope. We know where they are. We haven't lost them. We simply await the day when we will be united with them in God's eternal home, yes? The third, why was Jesus not upset but angry? Well, there might be two possibilities according to my Bible commentary on why Jesus was angry. First, Jesus was angry that Martha and the others at the tomb were weeping and wailing excessively like those who have no hope of a future resurrection. And that's a real contrast to Martha's response of faith. The second was possibility was Jesus was angry about the power of sin and death in the world. The fact that Jesus wept himself when he arrived at the tomb is a, is a good indication that the second explanation might be the correct one. Jesus was angry about the devastating effects of sin and death in the world, and he felt the loss keenly at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. This wasn't the way God designed life to be. But we find hope in the fact that Christ has overcome death, friends, and we live in that light. The fourth thought, there's a call to come and get rid of that shroud. Verse 43, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. We've heard of miracles, and we heard testimonies of many supernatural experiences where they're not able to give a complete explanation of why or how people were saved from death's door. Called back with a loud, come out, either by surgery or medicine or just simply a miracle. The doctor stands by the family and says, I cannot account for her being alive. Let's just call it a miracle. As a matter of fact, we've had a doctor tell us, Odorai and I, those same words about our second daughter at her birth. I remember after her birth how, how she was wrapped in a plastic bag like a shroud and the doctor ran with her and disappeared out of the operating room. My heart was destroyed. The next morning when I went to the clinic to see if I had a daughter, after a short talk with the doctor, he tells me, let's just call it a miracle. By the way, that daughter got married three weeks ago, and I got to do the wedding. 
people who love God still hear the call to unbind the hands and feet and faces of those who are encased in various forms of death and decay, in various forms of shroud. I can only conclude that Jesus still works restoring people to life and his disciples after many generations still, in his name, unbind hands and feet and unwrap faces. There is no reason to doubt that during his presence at that place, Jesus called forth Lazarus and instructed those around to serve his needs, is there? Right? Okay, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I do remember a night, do you remember a night when you woke up from a, must have been a nightmare, and where you were tied up from head to toe and you were fighting to get out and get free? You're still half asleep and don't have an explanation of what's going on? But what happened was that as you were dreaming, you had rolled yourself up in your blankets and literally tied yourself up. I know it's happened to me. And then when you are fully awake, you take a deep breath and wonder, how did this happen, right? I got the following about Native American Stanley Hill from a feature article in the Saratogian newspaper Tuesday, March 22, 1988. I want to tell you the story of what it says there. Here's what they said. Stanley's hands were bound from the force of death in alcohol and despair after the death of his son, Jim, who was killed in an automobile accident. He felt he had been wrapped in a shroud of grief, sin, and guilt. So I ask you, why do people wrap themselves figuratively in a shroud? Or, anyway, or another way of putting the question may be, when bound, what is happening to my hands, my feet, and my face? Now, Stanley, well, he learned to, number one, unbind his hands. He discovered that when his hands were hand in hand with the Creator, there was no limit to the exchanges between his brain and his hands because there is no limit to the exchange between them and God. His ability to do was set free. Second, unbind his feet. He left home and traveled to his first art show. He borrowed two sore horses and a piece of plywood to make do. To his amazement, he won first prize. When traveling became part of his work and in time, he traveled as far as the Smithsonian Institute. Along with creating hands, his feet walked along with the Creator. I walk today where Jesus walked, he said. Third, unwrap the face. Stanley continues, one of the things I learned was that there must be more to life than just making a living. When you have come to the point where the question you ask yourself is, do you want to get rid of that shroud this means you've come to the point where you recognize that your life on earth is a mess and that you're wandering and lost and you are and feel like a dead human being and you know it. Then you've come to the point where you want to change. Then you want to get rid of those wrappings that keep you attached to a dead past. 
For years he had won blinders, thinking that the only thing a man does to prove he is a man is to make a living. That making a living is the most important ingredient in a person's life. Face to face with the Creator, Stanley began to see how the hands and feet are working harmoniously with the vision so he would see Jesus. For anyone who is wrapped in the shroud of the world, you have the invisible assurance that God wants you. He wants to set you free. Through Jesus, God calls your close friends, family, maybe a pastor, social workers, or caring professionals who are willing to listen and help, help you to unbind the hands, unbind the feet, and unwrap the face. With unbound hands, unbound feet, unwrapped face, a new vision of possibilities will be open to you. Filled with good news. And Jesus would say to you, come out. I think we need to praise the Lord for the invisible assurance and promise God has for us with Isaiah, the prophet's words, which he wrote in chapter 25 of his book. And I invite you to read aloud or quietly in an attitude of prayer and thanksgiving these words of praises from Isaiah 25, verse 1, verse 7 to 9. And I'm taking these words out of the New International Version. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.